topic. Hey, if you've got a Bible today, uh, turn, if you will, to, uh, to John chapter 20. We're going to be in a lot of different places, and so uh, you can kind of follow around with us if you would like to. And, uh, but I, today, I just want to just share with you, uh, you know, uh, this, is the, uh, this is the Palm Sunday, you know, and then, uh, and then next week, you know, we're, uh, it seems like that this whole idea of, uh, of the resurrection is, uh, is, is relegated to only you can talk about it at Eastern time, you know, and, uh, but I want you to understand is that, is that this is foundational, um, this is foundational to everything that we, that we believe, everything about who Christ is. Uh, I just want you to, I just want you to see it. I want you to see that today. Because next week, we're going to have a lot of people here uh, all day at both services. We're not having connection groups. Obviously, you can invite as many people as you like. And uh, I'm going to just share something very simple about the impact Easter has on our lives. But I thought today, I just would... Uh, I'm just going to read a lot of the scriptures to you on this on this part, help you maybe understand a little bit more and let you see some things um, that have to do with this because of how foundational it is. I want you to understand that within within Christianity, if you if I can call it that, um, there are two major thoughts uh, that everything hinges on. And uh, you know, as I've told you before, sometimes people have misunderstood what I've said to them, is that we're not believers, we're not Christians, because we follow the teachings of Christ. We are not. I want you to understand is that there are many who would follow God's teachings uh, who are not even believers. And uh, because the Pharisees were followers of the teachings of God, and yet and yet they weren't even close to being to being the Lord. So, uh, but, so then what is a believer? A believer is one who understands who Christ is. You'll see it. It's clear today. Who Christ is, what he came to do, and you put your faith and trust in that. And then, and then it, it changes you. Then you, you do your best to live by the teachings of him. But understanding this particular case, you understand that that becomes it. So there are two things. Who Christ is, what he came to do. And there are two things that happen in scriptures that are the most attacked. They were at the time of Jesus, and they're, at the, they're still today. They're the most attacked things. In fact, even C.S. Lewis and Josh McDowell who started out uh, their doctoral thesis, if you will, trying to disprove uh, Christianity, found that there were two major things. Number one, it's the virgin, the virgin birth, and number two, it's the resurrection. If you take either one of those away, everything else in the Bible falls apart like a house of cards. It's those two things. Because that's at Christmas time, which is the virgin birth. It's who Jesus is. If he truly is Emmanuel, then that's, that's, as, that's as important as anything. And then the resurrection. Just dying on a cross, hundreds of thousands of people died on crosses. But if you understand that who he is and then what he came to do, to give you and I an answer to our greatest need, which was death. Death is always the en biggest enemy that people have worldwide. doesn't matter which culture you go to, it is the enemy. It is the enemy that needs most to be defeated. It is the answer that you most need. If you have an answer, if you have an answer to death, as I like to tell you, you really don't have any problems. Okay? Rest of it, I mean, if you have that answer, that's, that's the key one. That's the foundational one. So then that's, 
picture of today. Right. That's what I wanted to talk to you about today. Next, today is what happened at the resurrection. Next week is the impact that that, that has on our lives. You know, answering the question, so what, right? So what? So what does that mean? I mean, obviously it makes sense. So I'm going to go ahead and jump right in, and here's what today's going to look like. I'm just going to read a whole lot of the scripture. We're going to explain it, talk through it, let you point out a few things, let you see them and say, as, as oh, okay, so that makes sense, that makes sense. I just want you to understand, it is one of the simplest things to understand, and yet so many people can't comprehend it. Okay, you'll see all of those things. So number one, if you want to follow along with us, number one is the facts around the resurrection. Take a look at John chapter 20. Now, in every one of the Gospels, Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John, there is an account of the resurrection. <clears throat> I've just chosen John's. Uh, all of them share a little bit of different information about what happened here, what happened there, what it looked like here. But, uh, but they are accounts. And uh, so I'm just going to read the one with John. Okay, Let's take a look at it, if you will, in, uh, in John uh, chapter 20 and verse 1, it says, now on the first day of the week, what is the first day of the week? The first day of the week is Sunday. I want you to know that the reason we have services on Sunday is because it's a celebration of the first day of the week that is Christ's resurrection. You know, so many times people say, well, why don't you worship on the Sabbath? You know, Well, number one, we're not Jewish, and number two, it's a celebration of the resurrection of Christ. Every Sunday is, is that picture. So on the first day of the week, Mary Magdalene, okay, uh, she came to the, to the tomb early while it was still dark, okay, and, uh, and saw that the stone had been rolling away. Now, if you've never seen a tomb, it was much different there than it is here. You know, we have, you know, you dig in the ground and that kind of a thing. But a tomb there usually... Usually, if you were wealthier, it was very expensive to have a tomb because usually what you did was is that you chipped, you know, they're, they're, that place is one big rock, and you just chip, you would chip out a little cave, and uh, it would take quite a bit of labor, uh, and then you, and then you would dig a trench, and the and basically the 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 entrance to the the little tomb or the crypt, if you will, you know, was no bigger than that, right? Just you know, probably three feet tall, and you would, because it, you know, everything that you did had to be hewn out, and so you, that's where, and then what happened was it would have a trench in front of it, and that they would, like a millstone, a big round millstone, they would roll, they would roll a big stone in front, in front of it. That was, that was what they used as a tomb, and so, and these, these stones were huge. It wasn't just a, it just wasn't a rock, it was, it was massive. And, uh, and, and they would roll it down into place. So they would dig out in the ground, and then it would, it would hit and stay in place. And so when she comes up, she sees this big, massive stone. Uh, she, sees it, she's a, she sees it rolled away, okay? And so she, rat, she runs, and she finds Peter and the other disciple whom Jesus loved. The other disciple there, you have to remember, this is the Gospel of John. So that's John talking about himself. And so he refers to himself as the other disciple, okay? And, uh, and the one whom Jesus loved and said to them, okay, they've taken the Lord, you know, and we don't know, we don't know where they've laid him. <coughs> Excuse me. So, so Peter went out with the other disciple, that is John, okay? Uh, and they were going toward the tomb, 
and both of them were running together. Now, this is just some fun personality stuff to look at, right? Uh, and basically, it says that the other, as they were running together, the other disciple outran Peter. Peter, Peter is this, he's, uh, he's kind of known, we don't have physical descriptions of the disciples in the Bible, but we have physical descriptions from history. And Peter was, was known as the big, he was the big guy, the big fisherman, the strong, uh, large, and John was kind of known as, as, as smaller and younger. And so I have this picture of this big, burly, bearded, this is my imagination running away with me, all right? And uh, he's huffing and puffing and going just as hard as he can, but, but John just blows him away. Hey, I remember that as a kid, all right? Because I was always the big guy, and wherever we went, I'm going to be outrun most everywhere I go, right? And, uh, and so that's what happened. So just to tell you what happened, so, you know, the stones roll away, and so both of them take off, and John outruns him, but <clears throat> their personalities are totally different. So John gets there to the tomb first, Sees the stone rolled away, and then, and then he stops and just, he's nervous, right? Cautious. And it says that Peter comes flying right by him. When he catches up with him, he goes flying right by him and goes straight in without even looking. So you see their personalities just in this little snapshot, okay? We've all had kids that have those personalities. One a little more cautious, one jumps before they even look, right? It's incredible how that, you know, at a, at a playground, is that I only had one kid that had that jump mentality. The brothers of mine were real cautious, you know. They'd go running up, but, but I had one that, hey, jump, and she wouldn't even, she wouldn't look one way or another, and you had to sometimes be careful because she'll jump without telling you, you know. So it's these, it's, again, it's just personality fun stuff to look at. So you see their personalities. And you see why Peter got himself into trouble. He didn't look before he went in. He just went flying by. But there's part of that boldness that God was going to really use, but there's part of it that has an arrogant nature to it that gets you in trouble. All right? That's why God had to really break on Peter to use him. So anyway, so basically they went in, they followed. And then after, after Peter went in, he looked at everything, then John followed. And he saw the cloths lying there. Firk, obviously, they didn't understand now, don't miss this, all right? They saw the cloth lying there, all right? And when they, can you get it up there for me? All right, and it says, okay, next verse. Next verse. Push the button on. All right, here we go. Uh, now, here it is. So, so they got there, and they went on in, but don't, don't miss this. I can't tell you how important this piece is. They get to the tomb, and it's empty. They find the cloth. Now, don't change it. Don't change it. They find Don't change it. Put it back up there. Put it back up there. Same verse you had before. All right. Now, now they get there, and they find the cloth lying there. And, and these were all like grave clothes. But there was something here. It says that they they were puzzled at what they found because they didn't understand the Scripture. This, and there are several other pieces in the Bible, this is 
This is my desire, my passion. I'm convinced so many don't understand. They, yeah, they're like me. They've grown up around church or they've, they've heard the stories, but they don't see how they connect. And I find it incredible that these disciples have lived with Jesus for three years and they still don't get it. I just want you to hear it. Three years, they've been with Jesus and they still did not understand the scripture that he must rise from the dead. They didn't get it. They never got who Jesus was. They knew there was something there. They knew that he was from God. They knew all these things. And yet, they even had a knowledge of the scriptures, but they had never put them together. So that when Jesus died, they just thought it was all over. And now they show up at the tomb, and he's gone. The grave clothes are in there, but Jesus is not there. And all because they didn't understand. They didn't understand. So what they did, they went back home. What do you do? You know, well, somebody, I don't know, somebody stole him, whatever, you know. Then Mary, this is interesting. Mary stood weeping, okay, outside the tomb. And uh, and as she as she as she wept, she stooped to look into the tomb. And there were two angels in there, one at the front and one at the at the rear, at the feet. And they said, you know, why are you why are you crying? He says, she didn't get it either. She says, they've taken away my Lord. In other words, she just thinks some grave robbers came in and stole him. And I don't know where they've, I don't know where they've laid him. And, and having said this, she turned around, right? And, uh, and saw Jesus standing, but she didn't know who it was. Well, you have to understand, he was dead. And so she looks, this guy that comes up, and, you know, basically she said, you know, Jesus looks at her and says, why are you crying? What do, whom do you seek? And, and supposing him to be the gardener, okay, she looks at him and says, you know, sir, if you've carried him away, tell me where you've laid him, I'll take him away. This is interesting. She didn't get it. She didn't understand. But with one word, she was going to get an education. Right? I've had this with my kids. And, you know, when they, when they get all emotional, and three daughters, it happened quite often. And uh, sometimes, and that's not saying that all women are emotional. That's not, that's not the truth. But all three of mine were. Right? And, um, and I remember one, I, you know, you know, it was kind of chicken little. You know, the sky was falling, and you know, oh, it was about, it was about, and, and I would, <laughs> I was known to say, Sarah. I'm using Sarah because she's gone and won't be back. Because everybody makes fun of them when they're uh, so anyway. And I'd say, I'd say, Sarah, and it would, it was incredible. It would just like, okay, okay, that means. Usually when dad says that, that means that I'm running off down the road, around the corner, and, and I need to pull it back. And it's incredible how it does, and then it all comes back down. We talk about it. All he had to say, Mary, oh, you can just tell me where you lay, you know. 
And in one word, she went from not understanding to understanding. I pray for you every time I walk out here. God, open their eyes and let them see. This is not about me. This is not about how well I explain it to you. Because I found I can explain it better than anybody else, which I can't. We'll say better than anybody else in the world, I can explain it. But if you don't get it, it doesn't make any sense. If you don't understand, it can't make a difference. And in one word, it all came crashing down on her. He's alive. That means he rose from the dead. That means, that means, that means. And it all made sense. It's an incredible thing. It's an incredible thing to understand who Christ is and what he came to do. I know I wear that out, but if you see that, if you can understand that, I'm not talking about being religious. I'm not talking about studying this or knowing this, although those things are important. I'm talking about, have you ever understood that? Because the disciples were with Jesus for three years. Mary was with him all the time. They didn't get it. The question is, have you ever gotten it? Have you ever actually seen it to understand? Of course, then she says, you know, Rabboni, which just means teacher. And, and then she, you know, Jesus says, you can't cling to me. Hey, I'm not staying. I'll be ascending. And then he, he goes on to tell her several other things, which are pretty neat. Um, and you can read that later. But there's, the biggest thing to understand is this, is that the tomb was empty and that Jesus had overcome death. Those are the things to understand. Those are the things that are important. Who Jesus is, what he came to do. If you understand these things, then you can understand why Christ came. Because it is our greatest need. There's not a person in the room that this is not your greatest need. Death affects all of us. doesn't matter who we are. doesn't matter what nationality we are. doesn't matter what color our skin is. doesn't matter where we live. doesn't matter where you go worldwide. We've all got a similar issue. And this issue is called death. And that is why Christ came, when you truly understand who he is and what he came to do. Okay? So this is central. This is foundational to everything. You know, Paul talked about this. Uh, take a look at 1 Corinthians. The passage in 1 Corinthians, you can turn to it or you can just look at the screens, chapter 15. You know, <clears throat> Paul, Paul was obviously incredible how God used Paul. In life. But there was this church. The entire chapter 15, 1 Corinthians chapter 15, is devoted entirely to the resurrection. In fact, next week we're going to talk about, you know, this is, this is the chapter where it says, death, where's your victory? Grave, where's your sting? Right? And, um, and that's later in the chapter. We're not going to talk about that. It'll be next week. But, but this week, he begins this chapter with something I don't want you to miss. These things came up just like they come up today. Because I'm here to tell you, if, if you can disprove the resurrection, then nothing else matters. Okay? I mean, everything falls apart. And so this is why it is the most attacked part of the Scripture. Okay? This is why people have it, they attack it still to this day. Because if, if he was who he was and if he did what he did, and I'm here to tell you that nothing else matters. If you ever truly understood who he was and what he came to do, you would put your faith and trust in him, right? You just would. Why wouldn't you? 
if he truly was who he says he was, and if he truly came to do what he came to do. Well, this came up in Corinth. If things could go wrong, they went wrong in Corinth. If you know anything about Corinth, it was, uh, it was a decadent place. It was an ugly place. It was the place that, you know, the, the Corinthians, they could mess up a free lunch, right? It's incredible how that they could take what you tell them, twist it around and make it say something else or make it say something they wanted it to say. And so Paul had to write them two long letters. That's why we have, that's why First and Second Corinthians are so long. And that's why Philippians is a short little book. Because the longer the letter, the more they were messing up, right? But in chapter 15, he addresses the struggle they were having about the resurrection. Actually, I'm kind of glad they were struggling because we got this really cool chapter uh, in answer to it. And I just want to just kind of talk you through just a few verses here in the first part uh, in, uh, in chapter 15 and verse 1. All right, let's read it together. It says this, Now I would remind you, brothers, of the gospel I preached to you, so this is Paul writing a letter to the Corinthians about the resurrection, all right? Which you received in which you stand. So they were believers. Even though they were struggling, they were believers. And by which you have been saved. That word saved is an interesting term that most people have lost the meaning to today. What does it mean to be saved? Well, when someone's life is saved, that means that you were in peril and that you couldn't help yourself. And that someone who had the power and strength and maybe authority came in and, and, and saved your life when you couldn't have helped yourself. So that analogy is used for what Christ did for you. Uh, you were terminal. You were in peril. You couldn't help yourself. So Christ came to do what he did so that he could offer life to you when death was a surety. Does that make sense? So now you understand what does he mean to be saved Hear people talk about saved. Oh, that's a, that's a Protestant thing. That's a Baptist thing. Ah, no, it's, it's right here. <laughs> right here in 1 Corinthians. Salvation, that is what Christ came to do. Saved. All right, let's continue to read. If you hold fast to the word I preached to you unless you believed in vain, which I want you to know, that's a whole message in itself. You can believe in vain. Isn't that interesting? Continue. Uh, for I delivered to you as of first importance that I also received. Look at this. That Christ died for our sins in, a, in, in, in accordance to what? Okay. So basically he says, here's what, I, here's what I found and I've delivered it to you. Is that Christ died for our sins according to the scriptures. He was buried and that he rose again right, on the third day in accordance with the scriptures. So what is Paul saying? He's, Paul is not just saying, we'll talk about this in just a minute. I just wanted to point it out here because I don't want you to miss it when we get to it. Paul's not saying here, hey, I'm just come here to tell you about some guy that lives over in Israel. Hey, he was really special and he lived a great life. He died on a cross and he rose, so I need you to believe in him. No, 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 no. It's in accordance with the scriptures. It's an important, there's things that you need to understand in order, in order for this. Because in, in order for this to make a difference in your life, it gets interesting. Anyway, in accordance with scriptures. And then he goes on in verse 5, he says, Then he, he appeared to Cephas, Cephas is Peter, and then to the twelve. Then he appeared to more than 500 brothers at one time, most of whom are still alive, though some have fallen asleep. I want you to know that during, this, during the, obviously the resurrection and the appearances 
before the ascension is that 500 people, the disciples, but more than 500. So Jesus had a large following when he was here. And I want you to know that they were all eyewitnesses. But the resurrection is what changed everything. Keep that in your brain because we'll come back to that. Then he appeared to James, that is the half-brother of Jesus, right? And um, then to all the apostles, last of all, to one untimely born, also he appeared to me, for I am the least of the apostles, unworthy to be called an apostle. This is Paul talking about himself, because I persecuted the church. But by the grace of God, I am what I am. A lot of us can say that. If you understand who Christ really is and what he came to do for you, um, whatever he makes of you, those who are truly his tend to give him the glory for it because they know they know who they are, right? They know who they are. But again, we'll, it's another message for another time. Let's continue, all right? Um, and he goes on to say, by the grace of God, I am what I am. His grace toward me was not in vain. On the contrary, I worked harder than any of them, that it was not I, but the grace of God that was in me. Whether then it was I or they, so we preach, and so you believed. Now he gets to the issue. Now, if Christ is proclaimed as raised from the dead, how can some of you say that there's no resurrection of the dead? Okay, so there's your problem. The Corinthians had gotten around. There's no such thing as resurrection of the dead. Okay? And so it's incredible how doubt can creep into some people's lives. And maybe it's creeped into your life, and so it makes, it makes you understand. So, and, and then he goes on to, to, to talk about kind of logic here. So don't, don't miss this. This is interesting. He says this. He says, but if there is no resurrection of them, then not even Christ has been raised. Okay, so if there's no such thing as resurrection, then Jesus hasn't been resurrected. All right, continue. We'll ask. Uh, then not even Christ is dead. And if Christ has not been raised, then our preaching is in vain and your faith is in vain. Basically, what he's saying here is, if there is no resurrection, then Christ hasn't been raised. And if Christ hasn't been raised, then what we've been sharing with you and your faith means zero. Continue on. We are even found to be misrepresenting God. In other words, we're basically liars. I'm basically a liar today. Okay? Because we testified about God that he was raised, whom he did not raise if it is true that the dead are not raised. For if the dead are not raised, not even Christ has been raised. And if Christ has not been raised, listen to this, your faith is futile and you're still in your sins. What does it mean your faith is futile? You know, it's interesting today. I just, I just like to point out things that I know you deal with. Those of you that live out in the world and deal with the world, I want you to know that the big thing today, okay, uh, is, is faith, just having faith, having a faith, having a strong faith. You know, I want you to understand that I've told you before is that faith is only is as good as what it believes in. Faith inside of it, in and of itself, can be dangerous. Faith in a lie can be highly destructive. Does that make sense? But faith in the truth, Jesus says, will set you free. So therefore, faith and trust, just because you have faith, you, I mean, the politically correct crowd are trying to tell us that all you have to do is have faith, right? All you have to do is have faith. And every time I hear it, I just scream at the television. But faith in what? 
Oh, you just have to have faith. Well, what, faith in what? Faith in faith? That's crazy. That's crazy. What, what is that all about? But if what you believe in is the truth, it has huge impacts and repercussions in your life. But he goes on to say, basically, if there's no resurrection, then your faith is meaningless and you're still in your sins. There is no forgiveness. And he goes on to say, then those who have fallen asleep, that is those who have died in Christ, they're gone. We're going to talk about this next week. Guys, people live different when they know they have an answer to death. Does that make sense? People who don't have an answer to death constantly feel time is running out and they've got to get their bucket list done. Does that make sense? There's nothing wrong with having a bucket list. Hey, I'd like to do this. Like, okay, knock yourself out. But so many live as though there's no tomorrow. And so they try to squeeze everything out of it because this is all they've got. I'm here to tell you, you live different. You live different if you have the answer to death. It's just the way it works. And he goes on to say something real curious. Look at this. He says, not curious, but almost a little shocking. Look at what Paul said. If in Christ we have hope in this life only. In other words, if it's only what we have here, then you need to feel sorry for us as believers in Christ. Does that make sense what he's saying? Most people today, especially in the educated crowd, try to put us over here and say, well, you know, it would just make your life better. Well, I don't know about you, but this life is not easy. There are a few things that might make it better, but it's the joke I always use. It's just rearranging the furniture on the, on the deck of the Titanic, right? Oh, I think that looks better over there. Well, why does it matter? It's going to the bottom, Right? You can rearrange it and make it look a little better, but you need an answer. You just don't need to redecorate. Does anybody hear what I'm saying there, right? Anybody, all right, good. So you, you get this picture then, is if, 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 if being a believer is only about this life, then, then Paul says you need to feel sorry for us. But in fact, Christ has been raised from the dead. First, first fruits of those who have fallen asleep. So it's pretty neat. But I wanted you to see some of the facts around it and kind of how everything hinges on it. That's where you get 15. Number two, evidences of the resurrection. And there are many. Um, it's one of the most historical events in history, especially ancient history. Um, there is greater proof that Jesus Christ lived and did what he said he did than there is that Napoleon even lived if you want to understand historic his historical accuracy, but I don't go into all that egghead stuff. You want to know it's all there if you want to see it, right? But you think about this for a second, right? I want you to take, think about, I want to give you two, two evidences. There's a whole lot of historical things I could go into and all this and, and all the different things that go with it, but there are just a couple I want you to see because um, I'm trying to, I'm trying to just to go through some of this without getting too deep into something and losing a lot of folks. But there are two things, two evidences of the resurrection. Number one are the prophecies. I pointed out to you several times that they kept saying, according to the scriptures, 
that he died for our sins according to the scripture. He was buried. He was raised on the third day according to the scriptures. I want you to understand that the Bible itself, it has, it has what we would call prophecies. In reality, what that is, is it's all pointing to an event. Everything in the scripture points to the event of the resurrection. Why? Because if Jesus truly is who he says he is, and if he truly did what he said he did, it is the most important thing that has ever happened. Therefore, everything points to it. This celebration that we have next week is not just you know, just something where we all wear a flower or something like that and say, oh, isn't that nice? No, if it is really what it says it is, there isn't anything more important than it. And I want you to know that the entire Bible, written over a couple of thousand years by over 40 authors written in three languages, all points, all points to the same thing. It is remarkable for those of you who want to know. For those of you who truly want to understand, it's there. It was there for the disciples. But they just got so caught up in the things Jesus could do, they couldn't see who he was. Interesting, huh? That it can be right in front of you and you miss it? But that's the picture. There are over 60 major prophecies that point to who Christ is and what he came to do. His birth, his life, his death, and his resurrection. And they're all pictures, and there are some 240 other facets of those prophecies. Also, there's the incredible stories like the, and they all point to Jesus' birth. They all point to this picture. And they all point, obviously, Passover. That's a picture of Christ. We've talked about that in a few weeks. The Day of Atonement last week, you know, with the curtain. Noah's Ark, you know, what is that a picture of? judgment. People trust God. God provides a way through the judgment. I mean, it's all there if you want to see it. And it, and it provides life through judgment, and, which is what the ark did. And so you have this, all of this picture that all points right to one event, right to, right to one thing. And to me, the greatest evidence that Christ is who he says he is and what he did was that God said it was going to happen long before it did. And only God can put such unity through 40 different authors over 2,000 years of writing. It's remarkable for those of you who want to know. The second evidence, obviously I could spend a lot more time there. There have been whole books written on that subject. But the second evidence are the disciples. They were an interesting group, ragtag group of guys. There was not a scholar among them other than Paul. And he came after the fact. You had fishermen. Not saying that fishermen can't be scholars, but you know, at the time they weren't. There were fishermen. There was a tax collector. There was a zealot. He was basically the guy that, you know, he was Israeli nationalist, you know, and he would be a guy that say, pass out the guns, let's fight, kind of a guy. There were several of them. And, and when Jesus was arrested and crucified, they basically all ran except for John. Even Peter denied. The bold, strong one denied that he ever knew Christ. So we talked about that. 
something happened. Well, the resurrection happened. And these guys turned into ultra-committed, highly focused men. And it changed the world. But it all happened at this resurrection. It all happened when a dead guy overcame death. It's like a guy I know. This is the way he put it, and I've repeated it several times, but I just love it. It's like, hey, man, if, they, if he's got the answer to death, I'm with him. I don't care what he teaches. Does that make sense? I mean, I, you know, give me the beads and the tambourine and the burlap, and I'll, I'll go to the airport and sing. If he has the answer to death, I'm with him. And it is the truth. And that's what happened to these disciples. They didn't understand, but after the resurrection, they did understand who he is. And they, they were amazing. The disciples were amazing. And what they came to know and see and understand and believe. Let me share this with you. I looked this up. This, I just got this straight out of Fox's Book of Martyrs. Such an incredible read. But um, these were the disciples and then those who were around Jesus. I want you to hear I want you to hear what happened to them. James, that is John's brother, uh, was killed by the sword on Herod's order. That's actually in the book of Acts. Bartholomew, one of the disciples, he was, he was skinned alive and then crucified after he was skinned alive. Andrew was crucified on the X cross. You know, it's, called, it's still to this day called Andrew's cross. Matthew was run through with a spear. Philip was crucified, then stoned. Peter was crucified upside down. Paul was beheaded in Rome. John was boiled in oil, although he survived miraculously. He was exiled to Patmos where he wrote the book of Revelation. Jude was shot, through with, shot to death with arrows. Mark was dragged behind wild horses and then burned. Simon, brother of Jude, and James the Younger was crucified. James, the half-brother of Jesus, was thrown from the pinnacle of the temple and stoned. Stephen was stoned. Luke was hung from an olive tree. I want you to know that every one of these disciples died, except for John. They died terrible deaths, and they could have gotten out of it. Every one of them. All they would have had to have said, we've, you know, we've been lying. Jesus didn't really rise from the dead. And they could have gotten out of it. You know, I've been around a lot of people in my life. I've been around a lot of men in my life. And there are a lot of men who will live for a lie if it profits them. But I don't know any that will die for a lie if they know it to be a lie. Does that make sense? What was it that changed in these disciples? Jesus died and they saw him overcome death. And they began to understand who he was and what he came to do. And they were willing, willing to risk everything to let the world know about it. That's a powerful thought. I'm here to tell you, if it hadn't been for the resurrection, Christianity would have died in the first century. Why? Because those disciples didn't have what it took. They were just common, ordinary guys. Common, ordinary guys. But number two is evidences. Number three, this is where we'll close what the resurrection proves. Well, number one, it proves who, it validates who Jesus is. Because only God has the power over life and death. 
right? Only God has that. In fact, it says in Acts chapter 3, verse 14, it talks about you denied the Holy One and skip on down where it, it calls, and you killed the author of life whom God raised from the dead. To this we're witnesses. But you killed the author of life. What does that mean? Well, what's an author? An author is somebody who creates something. Usually it has to do with a book or some sort of a writing. Therefore, the author is the one that begins. He's the one that starts. He's the one that creates a story. So is who is someone who is the author of life? One who starts life, someone who gives life, one who has life and can give it. So you understand what he's saying. And if Jesus has the power over life, then he's the author of it too. It's incredible to think about. Pretty amazing, huh? All right, so it validates, uh, it validates who Jesus is. It validates what Jesus taught, John chapter 8. If you continue or abide in my word, you are disciples indeed. You shall know the truth. The truth will set you free. I'll tell you what, there's something to be said for understanding. And I've already told you about that. Understanding. As some of you know, it's a changed life that has always been the evidence of what it means to be a believer. You know, it doesn't matter. I could, I could line up all this evidence. I mean, I could find a whale carcass that has Jonah's name carved in one of the ribs. But that's not going to make you believe it anymore. Why? Because unless you see it, unless you can understand, you can't put your faith in something that you don't understand. Right? That's why the passion of my life is helping people understand. You can't put your faith in a feeling either. Oh, I just went, I just felt so good. Well, you're trusting a feeling. You're not trusting him. Now, don't get me wrong. I like feeling good. I do. I would rather feel good than bad. I'm not anti-good feeling. Please don't say that about me because I'm not. But I'm not going to trust them because what happens when you feel bad? Your faith gone? Right? It validates Jesus' victory over death. That's the big one. You know what Jesus said in John 10, 18? He says, no one takes my life from me, but I lay it down of my own accord. I have the authority to lay it down. Look at this, and I also have the authority to do what? Take it up again. How do you have that authority and power? Because of who you are. Who is the only one who has the power and authority over life? God does, the creator, right? God in the flesh. It, it, it's an incredible thing. If, you, if you've got eyes to see, it can be like a moment when Jesus looked at Mary and said, Mary, and it all came crashing in on me. It's like, oh, my prayer for you every time before I walk in here. Oh, God, let us see. Open people's eyes and let them see. Because it's that understanding that does it. And then, you see it. You don't believe it because I've told you about it. You see it. You believe it because you've seen it. God's shown it to you. It's an incredible thing to think about. Also, number four, it was central to the, Christ, uh, to the disciples' teaching. You know, it was, it was their constant message. It was their, wherever they went, Paul, Peter, John, wherever they went, they kept 
is that Jesus died for our sins according to the Scripture. He was buried, he was raised again on the third day according to the Scripture. He, came, he, he overcame death, he overcame death. He rose, he rose, he rose, he rose, he rose. Why? Because that was foundational, because that's what it all culminated in. So as I close today, I just wanted to take a day, because uh, next week it's going to be real simple, and I'm just going to share with you the pictures and the difference of what Christ did for us actually makes in a person's life. That'll be next week and be very simple. If you have people in your life that want to invite, this is the time to invite them because, guys, this is what it's all about. So that'll be next week. It's going to be a great time next week. Um, it's going to be a great time no matter what we do if you come through with the attitude of what this really means. Anyway, as I close, if there's never been a time in your life you put your faith and trust in him, um, again, it has nothing to do with well, that's what y'all think, or that's what you know. You saw it in the scriptures. This is what it is. It's, it's the gospel of Christ. Nobody owns this message. It's his to you. If you see it, though, if God's allowed you to see it, don't, don't walk out of here without putting your faith and trust in him. There'll be some pastors up here afterwards. There would uh, Jim, I believe, and others that would be glad to talk with you. If you'd like to talk to somebody about what it means. If you don't want to talk with anybody, there's a booklet out there that says, Got Questions? You can grab one on it. It shares a little bit more. It has a little CD or something I, something I did. So you can grab that on your way out. All right, God bless you. God bless you. What a great day. Uh, what a great day when you think about, obviously, uh, the freedom that we have in him because of the truth that has set us free. All right, good deal. Let's all stand. Uh, come on up, Jim. Close us. And, uh, and I'm going to head back to the guest reception. Uh, if you're a guest with us today, please stop by and say hello. I'd love to get a chance to shake your hand. Also, remember the dinner with the pastor coming Tuesday, day after tomorrow, uh, if you'd like to turn that in and, uh, and become and be a part of that. All right. God bless you guys. Have a great day. Jim, why don't you close us? And let's pray together. Our heads are bowed for a moment. I wonder today if you're here, as they ask, even on this Hosanna, praising of the Lord, who is this? And uh, we're going to find out. He died on the cross, rose from the grave. And today, if you're here, God will answer that question for you. If you're serious, he'll take care of every need you have. Father, today we know that there are those that are listening in this very place that have questioned the truth of who you are and what you've come to do. And plainly and clearly, the Scriptures declare to us that you are the Savior, crucified, buried, and you've risen again from the dead. And so today I pray for these that are doubting that they would trust you, that you would open their, heart, our, our, their eyes and the ears of the things that they've heard and trust you as their Lord and Savior today and help us, Lord, to trust you in all the issues that we face. Lord, if we can trust you with going to heaven, if we can trust you with the power of the resurrection, there's nothing we cannot trust you with. So take care of our lives, take care of our families, and help us to walk in faith with you and meet our every need as we surrender. In Jesus' name, amen. God bless your dismissal.